Hi, I'm Dr. Stan Steindl. Welcome to Compassion in a T-Shirt in Session with Isabelle Leboeuf. Isabelle is a clinical psychologist in France where she runs a private practice and also has just completed her PhD exploring compassion and love as well as positive emotions such as social joy. She has great knowledge and experience around compassion that comes along with a lot of heart as well as a playfulness and cheeky sense of humour. Please enjoy being in session with my friend Isabel Leboeuf. Well, welcome, uh, Isabel Leboeuf, to Compassion in a T-shirt um, in session. Uh, what a joy it is to um, to speak with you all the way um, over there in in France. Now, I remember we met at the Compassionate um, Mind Foundation conference, and it was—I think it was my first conference, or, you know, first time to go to that particular conference. We, was it for you as well, or? Yeah, I think we had uh, some uh, exchange by mail before that. Uh, okay, maybe yeah, yeah. you don't remember. But, uh, can I tell a little story about that? Yeah, sure, or, sure. What is it? I just, uh, I was just telling a little story on uh, Paul Gilbert's um, uh, mailing list, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, a story about uh, compassion joy. And uh, you asked me a question uh, about how I would react if uh, something happened in the story. It was about anger. And I was uh, surprised it made an echo because that was something that uh, was questioning me, compassion mm. and anger. Mm. And I was also surprised because uh, in the way you asked the question, you really paid attention to uh, what I was saying. And I thought mm. that was the first time I had the feeling of friendship because it's quite rare to have people who really ask questions without trying to say something. Oh. really listening mm. and i just wanted to evoke that because oh. i think it's it's something very important in compassion to to be able to listen and we we should talk uh, more about that i think oh yes about yeah. that importance of listening and of course it's it's very much you i think now that i know you a little bit more you, yeah. know, you listen to people a lot that's what you're doing today and with yeah. this yeah. Again. Ah. Oh, thank you, Isabel. I feel very, very moved by that. I, I, I um, uh, sort of get little kind of tingles when you when you describe that because it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting the you know that that little story there, but it, yeah, that, that's that's really that's really great. I mean, I do feel in in many ways that that listening is a great act of compassion in a way, isn't it? And and you know where we can where we can try to do that it, it can be very helpful so yeah oh, thank you i i um i mean I, I know that we've we've continued a little bit of that conversation not not just the anger side of it but we've you know over the years corresponded and and um and back and forth a little bit and and of course your you have a, a sort of a big platform on social media as well and and you're you know involved in in the the 365 days of compassion kind of community and you know sort of um really a part of that conversation as well and and on, and on facebook and other sorts of things so um yeah we, we've we've had um yeah a lot of wonderful conversations and and actually yeah i'm hoping to to hear more about um some of your stuff Today, um, you're doing, you know, a lot of clinical work as well and research. Um, so I, I wondered, you know, maybe if you could tell us a little bit about what you're up to at the moment and, and um, uh, maybe your work or, or, you know, your life over there or, or perhaps even, um, you know, what's, what's really, what is it you're passionate about, I guess, <laughs> um, in, in amongst all of that? I think my my obsession. I, I I kind of I'm a positively obsessed person. I just focus on positive stuff, and I often focus on compassion and love. 
And I just finished a, a research PhD uh, on, uh, on love and compassion. And I guess I had two motivations. The first one was to try to bring uh, process-based evidence to CFT, compassion-focused therapy, uh, on emotions and attention processes. And um, my other motivation was a bit more selfish to have uh, an excuse to think and take time to think about love and compassion and how these motivations work together and how they facilitate or maybe inhibitate inhibitate each other. That, that's that's really interesting. I love how you said you know positively obsessed. <laughs> you know that that's a nice phrase. You know that that, that idea of of really striving, I think, to, to bring a lot of that, uh, you know, certain positive emotions, positive motivations, you know, various elements of love and joy and, and other things to compassion. And, and it's, it's an interesting combo because, you know, compassion is, is a lot about suffering and, and working with being around, engaging, trying to help suffering. And yet it, it, it can often also involve a lot of love and joy and playfulness and, and really can have a, a, a motivation towards flourishing, you know, in, in all of those kinds of ways. Is it too much to ask to get a little kind of summary of the, the, the PhD findings? You know, what, what, what did you kind of come up with your, your sort of uh, out of all that research? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, I, first thing I worked on is uh, on clarifying uh, an emotion I was working with. I worked on uh, uh, compassion uh, imagery from uh, CFT, and I noticed that there was also uh, positive social joy. So I, I clarified what this emotion is, and I guess what I've been looking at and found is that, uh, as you just said, positive emotions really play a role in regulating the process of compassion in many ways. Uh, the first one would be the attention. And uh, a lot of research show that positive emotion open the focus of attention, where threat-based emotion uh, narrow the focus. So I think uh, one thing that uh, CFT does in the imagery work is to uh, facilitate uh, the opening of uh, attention. And of course, uh, positive emotion have, uh, have been shown to uh, facilitate resilience in many ways. So I try to clarify the, the role of positive emotions in emotion regulation uh, in the process of compassion in the, in the imagery. And, and I, actually, yes, the, the imagery of compassion does induce positive emotions and reduce negative emotions. I also, also work on a um, uh, program of uh, compassion main training uh, over mm -hmm. one month. That was uh, very, uh, we had very good results on social distress and activating compassion. Yeah, so the, the, um, uh, the, the positive social, social joy and positive kind of affect, um, that's really fascinating. It, it, it actually is a, a part of what emerges out of compassion-based imagery, I think you're saying, and, yes. and that, that there's a kind of a, a way there that that positive emotion then facilitates other mechanisms such as opening up attention, you know, building a sense of strength or resilience, um, regulating other emotions and, and sort of, it, it's kind of all in there, the, 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 the joy or, the, or other positive emotions really kind of actually, you know, is part of the mechanism perhaps. What are your thoughts there? I think it's kind of counterintuitive. Most people think of compassion as moving toward negative emotions or moving towards suffering. So they tend to think uh, about compassion as with associated to negative emotions. Mm. Where uh, research in neuroscience has shown that at the it's the difference between empathy and compassion is that compassion also activates positive emotions. Why is it so? It's because it's not just 
uh, moving toward uh, suffering. It's also imagining, planning that the suffering will be relieved. And from this belief comes joy. When we look at studies, for example, people who are in compassion, they tend to move forward. And this moving forward is associated with positive emotions, not to negative emotions. When you're in threat, you kind of tend to go back. But when you're positive, you, you go towards. So you need to reconnect hope. And I, we can even work at it in, uh, in the rescripting imagery. For example, I had a client who uh, had traumatic ideas of someone she had lost in, in very painful, um, someone who died in a very painful way. So she wasn't there at the moment, but she kind of had the image of it coming back mm. and I explained to her the difference between empathy and compassion and we tried to reconnect images of compassion like imagining that she could hold the hand of her friend and feeling that uh, he, he could be relieved from the pain and just uh, changing a little bit this imagery from uh, the friend in pain to the friend being relieved from pain it completely switched the, the imagery and she was uh, able to be relieved from the uh, flashes and traumatic uh, part of the imagery. I love what you said before, you know, that's just so inspiring to think about, you know, this, the suffering will be relieved and from this comes joy. I mean, that, that's, that's so beautiful to, to think of it like that. With, with empathy, perhaps we are you know just really resonating with the suffering and that's about you know in some ways where that stops um, but with compassion it's this anticipation but that perhaps there will be relief or something that the suffering will be alleviated or prevented even and and those that that kind of anticipation of of the the um the motivation there and the out the outcome you know really brings joy if you think about things from an evolutionary point of view if there wasn't some kind of joy or, or positive loop back in a sense, you know, it might not have evolved because it would have just been all serious and hard and even painful to be compassionate. And then we would be more likely to sort of avoid. So maybe there's even an evolutionary kind of mechanism there whereby that joy we feel with being compassionate is part of what then, you know, helps to keep that motivation alive. It's important to, to connect our motivation to something positive. Mm, yeah. that, that's why I always uh, try to balance, uh, for example, when I talk about loneliness, uh, if I make a post on Facebook just about loneliness, it's just like nobody reacts, zero like or zero. <laughs> just, people are just like, oh my God, loneliness, isolation. Oh, I don't want to hear about that. Oh. But, balance it with uh, also connection and social joy and compassion that that you can integrate that with, uh, with hope and mm -hmm. and those things help people to engage with it or help people to to feel moved in a way that once they want to approach things and and that's that's right, isn't it? Because you know, when sometimes we can have that collapse of compassion, where it, it feels far too much and too heavy and uh, too much suffering and and too little joy or something. Maybe I mean I'm just sort of thinking out loud, but um, but yes, it, it it's really a well, it's a very interesting you know kind of clarification that you've made there. You know, I I, I can see really that that it's a wonderful contribution and it, it really helps us to kind of, um, you know, sort of broaden and our understanding of compassion and just how it might uh, be cultivated and how it might sort of spread. But so what about you and your journey into, you know, compassion and, and self-compassion? You know, what, what's, what's sort of your, your story there in terms of, of how you really uh, got involved in this work? I think... Uh if you go back to this uh, idea of identity, I guess my compassionate identity started even before I was born because uh, uh, my family is, uh, is uh, 
uh, there are a lot of, uh, uh, of uh, very compassionate women in uh, my uh, in my family. My mother is a physician. My grandmother was a nurse, and all the women were were are caregiver. And I have a beautiful uh, a mentor, American mentor, who is uh, was just president of the American Association of Anesthesiology. And I have uh, I, I grew up with uh, these role models of strong women, uh, very compassionate. I guess the tricky thing about having this identity is that sometimes it's harder to receive compassion. Mm. Uh, it's it, it compassion gives a lot of strength, but uh, receiving compassion is a lot more of a vulnerability side of mm. things. And I guess uh, I, I've been through different moments of uh, depression in my childhood mm. uh, from very young ages and, and also in my uh, teenage age. And I, wrote, I read my first um, uh, compassion and meditation book when I was uh, 16. Mm. I, uh, I just randomly bought the book and and it's just uh, completely changed. Uh, I started meditation and I don't know, it made, it made an echo. And I guess being a psychologist is also a path of, uh, of compassion. Mm. And I met Paul Gilbert in uh, two, 2013 uh, in a French Congress. And I just completely fell in love. I was like, wow, this is great. Uh, this, it, it resonated a lot with uh, what I was uh, doing and some things that didn't in, in CBT was a CBT Congress. There, there was a few things that, that didn't really completely match my, uh, my practice. I guess now that I look back, I guess it's a question of motivation. Uh, CBT has put it effective motivation on the side, mainly with the uh, Iron Beck. Uh, focus on rational ideas and and that was important because it could uh, put the, the, the cognitive biases uh, in light but at some point I think today bringing back compassion and affective motivation is clarifying a lot of things I think another part of my journey was uh, to do uh, supervision too one thing that was uh, a bit complicated uh, for me was the receiving compassion. There was a lot of fear associated to that. So I think it was very useful to work on that in, in supervision. And I realized that uh, also I was not only afraid of receiving compassion, but strangely, I was also afraid of receiving love. And it really helped me to uh, differentiate all that and clarify it. And I was able to expose a little bit more to all this. I think I was afraid, maybe it sounds weird to be afraid of receiving love, but it's not love, uh, like open-hearted love. It's more what can be associated. I think we often think of love as a positive emotion. If you look in the research, there's also this often this confusion I think what's great with the Paul Gilbert's PFT model is that it, it differentiates motivation and emotions. Mm. And I think uh, seeing love as a motivation, not just an emotion, uh, help, help me to understand that love can be also associated with negative emotions and difficult things like positivity, yeah. jealousy, and even uh, a need of uh, control, uh, a sense of control. And research shows that uh, people in relationship who uh, need to control a lot are also a lot more critical and that it can lead to difficult things in, uh, in the relationships. Mm. But I think compassion has a lot to bring to uh, understanding the relational processes and uh, and help people interact in a, a more safe and, and peaceful way. Mm. It's always tricky. Mm. And it was, it was really interesting for me to do that, that path to expose myself. And 
I guess the small changes I've seen from this work is uh, the way I, for example, I look at people in the street. I used to look at my feet in the street before mm. doing all that. And now I can uh, op open my, my attention a lot more. And it's more these little attention things that have changed. Uh, and I, I think I find myself more open and more willing to expose myself. Uh, I also made this path to expose myself on social media. And uh, people think I'm comfortable with that, but it's, it was so scary, really. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the first time I put it, my picture on my Facebook profile, I was just scared to death. And one, the first person who put it a comment saying, oh, that's pretty picture. I was just, <laughs> I put this person off and I blocked them. And oh. I was like, oh, what is this reaction? Just, oh, I was uh, my threat system going on and just trying to protect me from uh, being looked at. It's, it was uh -huh. scary. Well, that that's. But now I'm, I'm comfortable now. Oh, good, good. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we we I actually, um, you know, come from a, a long line of of compassionate women as well. Um, my mother was a GP, her mother was a GP, her, her mother was not a doctor, but was, um, you know, she, she sort of went to university and, and studied, you know, Bachelor of Arts or something. And, you know, this is a, now a long time ago. And so I come from a long line, all my mother's sisters are, are, are GPs as well. And, and so, um, yes, yeah, strong, compassionate you know, women who um, you sort of, I guess, uh, yeah, I know it, it, that that feeling of really um, kind of almost the, the being born into it in a, in a funny sort of a way. I mean, a lot of people are too, I suppose. But um, but yes, that that sort of resonated with me. And and then it does feel a bit funny to then be a receiver rather than a giver of compassion, doesn't it? Because a lot of that, you know, physicians and nurses and so on, there's a real emphasis there of, of being compassionate towards others. And so there's an interesting kind of, it's a, it's a sort of a double-edged sword in a way. You know, there's, there's a tendency towards self-sacrifice almost even. Um, and oh. so that's always been something for me to kind of be a bit aware of. Self-sacrifice and um you know a, a kind of a sort of defectiveness self-criticism piece you know like there's sort of a bit of both of that you know that that, that i think comes out of it i suppose at one at one level it looks like generosity and humility but then at another level it's kind of self-sacrifice and and you know defectiveness so well you you've done some very um you know, sort of careful work on yourself in, in all of that and sort of understanding yourself and and um, and noticing those fears, blocks and resistances, but noticing that they're also there to do with other motivations, love, for example. Um, and it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose love flows in three directions too, you know, love for others, receiving love, love for oneself, um, and so being able to, to, to differentiate and unpack all of that and kind of get a sense of the different bits and where you can do some of the work, you know, and a lot of that is about kind of almost just sort of exposure, I suppose, and, and vulnerability and, and just, you know, having that kind of strength and courage and wherewithal to just let yourself experience it and open yourself up to, to, to compassion from others or, or love from others and, and just allow it to happen and, and to, to see what happens next. And, and it literally translates into, you know, sort of physical changes. We, we lift our head and we look around and we notice things and, and we start to, you know, be, it just sort of, it comes up physically even as, as well as, you know, all of those other, other kind of, aspects as well you've had this personal journey in a sense with compassion and and you know you you sort of 
had this compassionate identity, you discovered CFT, you kind of fell in love with the approach. So how do you now use compassion in your work? If I make the link with uh, my personal work on, on, um, on my blog, uh, uh, with compassion, I realized that it made me more comfortable to uh, to work on what we usually call transference and counter transference to really clarify what uh, what is going on in the room in the therapy room in echoing maybe the story of the person or even the evolutionary aspects of uh, of the brain and how the motivations get settled mm. so i think i think it's really where cft has helped me the most in the way i feel in the in the therapy and working with my own emotions and being aware of uh, what triggers me and uh, finding uh, really making room also for my own stuff to regulate my own part of the work where maybe when I was doing only CBT I was a lot more focused on uh, the patient's suffering and how to find solutions uh, to to alleviate suffering. And I think it's it's really um, a, a complex dynamic in the therapy room uh, between uh, synchronizing to the patient's suffering, and, but also sometimes being able to desynchronize, to not get uh, caught, uh, not get activated by the anxiety, anxiety or uh, what what is uh, playing uh, in 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 the moment for the the patient, but that also uh, leads to making space for our own uh, emotional reactions, mm. as we're not robots. Yes, well, I mean that's brilliant. I I I, I really am fascinated, and and I might get you to talk a bit more about uh the the role of of cft and 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 in in sort of working with transference but what what your I, I remember going to a paul gilbert um complex cases workshop and one of the things that he said was that complex cases are when there are sort of complex sort of external factors for the client and and internal factors for the client and external factors for the clinician or therapist and internal factors for the clinician that really like exactly like you said you know that that, that complex clinical situations are often a dynamic there between you know both parties and and so the model the cft model we might be working with our client using that model sort of for them but it's also there for us in a sense we're also there to 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 using the model, noticing our own threat system, for example, or noticing our own tricky loops in the brain or or, or the mind, and and trying to follow that kind of pattern of you know giving and receiving and 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 those sort of things. Can, can you talk a bit more about transference or countertransference and how you might work with that from a CFT point of view? I think uh, an example. I, I, it's maybe I don't know if it's transference, but uh, or transference. But an example of what we're seeing is, uh, for example, when a client has um, an emotional activation, the more we are synchronized, uh, the more we tend to react emotionally to feel the sadness or the anxiety in our own body. It's uh, a physiological empathy, mm. and. And bringing awareness, a better awareness to that, it's often very helpful in supervision. Sometimes I ask uh, uh, the, the therapists that I work with, who, who is this emo the emotion when you're feeling, for example, uh, powerlessness? Is it your feeling? Uh, do you think there's nothing you can do for this client or nothing he can do? Or is it his uh, emotion that you're experiencing? And most of the time they are stuck, not because of their own belief that there is nothing to do, but because they are resonating with the, the, the hopelessness of their depressed client, for example. The, these processes of empathy and compassion and really uh, be bringing awareness to where do we synchronize and where there is a need to differentiate is uh, an important thing, I think. 
the 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 thing that sort of springs to my mind in a funny sort of a way is that you know often in CFT we we might be working with multiplicity or multiple selves you know that 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 we we work with the client and and perhaps you know their anxious self or their their angry self or maybe their compassionate self and and it just occurred to me listening to you that there's actually a whole bunch more multiple selves in the room as well and those are our little multiple selves that that are also you know kind of being triggered hit, triggered here and there and and sort of suddenly we might step into a bit of the anxious self ourselves or we might uh notice a little bit of critical self you know sort of niggling away in the background or or you know um you know clinician shame is often a thing isn't it just sort of worrying that we're not good enough or doing enough or or things like that and then of course there's our compassionate self as well but in in a way you know in any relationship probably but a therapeutic relationship as well um there, there's all these different parts you know, that are there and you know that some some perhaps emerge from the client and some emerge from the, the therapist and some emerge in the therapist but really belong with the client and you know like we have all of these different parts and that ability to kind of differentiate it all you know that ability to be able to oh let's just sort of notice all these different kind of you know players here that are sort of part of the the scene and the differentiation the slowing down the finding that serenity i mean that's a beautiful word that you said you know finding that serenity that kind of stability and calmness and then we start to reintegrate again we, we bring that all together and and sort of that's where the, the 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 effective conversation really starts to happen perhaps i think that's quite really beautiful with compassion focused therapies all this chair work and and making room for people as a wall uh, sometimes people people tell me why should I ask talk about this part of myself that I don't like? Uh, what is the purpose of doing that? Mm. And nothing is going to change because we talk about it. And often I tell them maybe the only reason is for you to be as a whole person here, to be able to talk about all the parts of yourself and feel comfortable with them. Mm. It, 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 if we think of what is love maybe it could be the definition of love to be whole with all the parts of ourselves mm, yeah when we experience trauma or shame it's kind of cutting a part of ourselves and hiding it i don't want to hear that i don't want to see that part of myself mm. it's too painful it's too ugly or too something mm. yeah and and sort of working towards becoming whole again Hmm. Um, and I guess supervision and that work for myself also enabled me to bring awareness and make space from some parts of me that didn't fit the ideal idea of a therapist. Hmm. I, I, I didn't want to be a reactive person or a rejecting person. And I had to work on that and welcome the, those parts. Hmm. It may not be easy to talk about it for me today. Uh, kind of one more exposure, but it's. Uh, I really thank you for welcoming that, Stan, and it's uh, it's okay. really a joy to feel useful and uh, and connected and connecting this part of myself and and telling yeah. myself, oh, it's okay. You can you can be that person and 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 share it with others, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, it's it, it it's it's joyful because you know even when we might talk with you know they, they quite rightly they say what why why do I have to you know sort of think about that awful part of myself that part of myself that I hate or whatever and um, and actually you know that that is another kind of Paul Gilbert thing, isn't it? You know that that compassion is the courage to descend you know, into the reality mm. of, of the human experience. But one of the, the aspects of that is, is, your, is your, your notion of joy, that, that, that if, if we are able to approach those parts of ourselves and we are able to feel somewhat whole again and, and, and less suffering, then it, it, it's, it's the joy. It's the joyfulness of, of sort of, you know, kind of 
also getting to that that piece. Now, you you sort of um, alluded there to, to, I guess, you know, clients, you know, questioning you or pushing back. I mean, do you notice any particular challenges there with, with clients in terms of how they receive CFT or, or whether they show much, you know, kind of challenges with that? I guess with, the, with my clients, my strategy is to start with the, em, their emotions and their own experience of compassion. Uh, for example, I can ask, what, at what moment in your life have you uh, been able to help someone or to uh, I, I start with recognizing uh, a memory of compassion and then uh, sm with small steps, I bring the idea that this might be compassion, that this is what I call compassion. Maybe they don't call that because in French culture, they, there's a lot of resistance with the idea of compassion. It's, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not even understood in the way we could uh, say it in, uh, in uh, CFT really. And that's uh, even clearer when I work with uh, with uh, my colleagues. When I do um, public speaking, uh, often people see compassion on the more sensitive side of uh, of it, uh, being present uh, to feel with feel the suffering with. In French, when we translate compassion, it means uh, suffer with. So people has, have that idea in mind and they don't see that much that it's taking action and relieving. So there are res resistance uh, in using that terms. French people prefer to use empathy, mm. but I think it's very useful to discriminate uh, the, the two of it. Mm. Although they are very close, of course. Uh, Mm. But uh, I, I almost have more resistance with my colleagues than with my clients. Yeah. <laughs> Often when I, I start talking about compassion, they say, oh, can I read something about that? And then I give them uh, books in French and they come back and they say, I disagree with this and I disagree with that. And when they read about it in a more intellectual way, there is a lot of resistance. But when I start with the emotion and the feelings of uh, compassion, there they, they get it from the inside. And there's, usually there's a lot less resistance from the body, the unbodied compassion. That, that, that's really great. You know, that, that idea of, of getting it from the inside. Uh, I, I think mm. that's a... That's a tweetable tweet, I think, in some ways, you know, like it, it's, um, but that, that's, that nails it, doesn't it? You know, like the idea is that if we can use memories or, or example, real life examples for them, or we can sort of create a, a feeling or, or, or a sort of a, a physiological, you know, experience, you know, that, 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 you know, people often really kind of engage with it differently when when they kind of you know sort of sense it from the inside and and yet if if we're trying to convince them intellectually about it all then they just often will try to convince us back i suppose um and and sometimes it's the word isn't it you know sometimes it's just the word that that can create the challenges and i liked how you said that too you know that you sort of said you know well this might not be what you know, you, you think of as compassion per se, but this is sort of what I'm talking about when I talk about compassion, it's, it's this sort of thing. And, and then that connects them to it, even if the word for them is not quite right. Now they know what, what we're talking about. So tell us, uh, you know, like what, what's next for you? You know, you've, you've actually completed your PhD by the sounds of it, and you've, you've found some interesting stuff and, and actually, uh, you you know th some of your published works and things like that we might include in the detail or the description you know here on on YouTube just in case people would like to to see some of your work but um, but what's what's next for you what what uh, what do you think I think there's two things one I'm not sure I should talk about but <laughs> just kidding uh, the the first thing is that I'm going to do uh, workshops. For the maybe the first time for me, 
uh, one in French, which will be uh, activating compassion and social joy, and one with um, Jarin uh, Chu and Chris' father. I'm not good with the pronunciation either. That's okay. Good, good. Uh, on um, anger, power, and love, that should be in September. And those two, those uh, two workshops are really exciting. Yeah. And the other thing that uh, maybe I should not talk about it, but uh, it's uh, I have this idea of starting to write uh, write a write a book, and I kind of. Plan. Uh, my dream is kind of make this writing uh, a, a safe place kind of thing to find a place uh, of silence or so I'm, I'm right now I'm trying to look for that place uh, trying to find somewhere we can where I can hide and just be with myself and oh. and take the excuse of writing to kind of uh, take, take care of myself and uh, this, uh, yeah. but maybe it's not workable. But I don't know. We'll see. Well, I, I think, um, yeah, you've 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 got plenty to share uh, in the form of a book. You are a very good example, uh, a model for me. Oh. Of writing the, the compassion gifts. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I've been waiting for your book for so long. And and it's just like it should have arrived like last week, and there's just this mess with the. <laughs> I'm like, um, it hasn't arrived yet. No, it hasn't. I'm so jealous. Oh, you have it. <laughs> I have it in my right. <laughs> um, no, no, I I I think um, I think it's a great idea. I mean, it 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 is sort of interesting to put these ideas out there to the world, but. Um, you know, but I, I, I love that idea of finding a sense of safeness and silence and, and almost retreat for you, that a, a place that you can go and be and, and just be with your thoughts and, and you know, bring, bring them together and, and you know, produce, produce this thing. I mean, I think you've absolutely, absolutely, I don't know if this is what the book would be about, but you've absolutely created your, your niche there with, 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 love and joy and compassion you know that 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 sort of that's a beautiful beautiful niche and and um i'm very keen to to sort of hear more about the the workshops i don't know whether they'll be online uh yes the the worship on anger power and love would will be online and the, the french one too but it's in french <laughs> okay great can i ask you a question yes I, I'm not sure I'm supposed to, but uh, I noticed before the interview, uh, my my brain would keep asking you questions and and bringing stuff I wanted to say about you, and I was like, no, Isabel, this you are supposed to talk about you. Yes. <laughs> so just one question: uh, How did you experience the writing of the book? Did, emotionally, was it something peaceful or more stressful or? No, it was it was peaceful. It was peaceful. Uh, the writing of the book, I I did find a place that was also peaceful, and that was mm. you know up at Malula Bar here on the Sunshine Coast, and and looking out wow. over the water, and and a big chunk of it I did over about three or four weeks um, in that place. And so that was that that I, I totally feel that this idea of of you know finding a place and really going there with intention to to sort of yes bring it down, really connect with oneself and just let it flow without that kind of criticism or trying to judge the writing, but yeah, just just letting it letting it flow. I think that's good. The more less less peaceful is when the book comes out <laughs> because then you worried about what everyone's going to think but um anyway it it it, it is a it, a very um yeah, it feels good it, it feels again joyful to to sort of have uh, that little thing done now i'm asking everyone um for their three tips because the, one of the ideas of compassion in a t-shirt is is just to 
kind of have little little takeaways for people, little things that they can think about um, while they're embarking or continuing on their their compassionate journey. So I, I'm sort of yeah, I'm just curious to hear from everyone and from you. You know, like what what would you say would be three tips that you would offer people? You know, as as they work with compassion. I guess the first tip that has been uh, a guide for me and very useful uh, as a way out of depression, for example, uh, is that we often talk about being here and now. And I would add being here now and where is my attention? What I mean by that is that there are two directions of attention. We can look uh, from ourselves to the world or we can look from the world toward ourselves. How do people look at me? Do they like me? Do they judge me? How am I seen from the world? And where will the joy come from? That's what we often have, or the direction our attention is often turned to. It's from the outside toward the inside. And if we can just switch that and turn our attention toward uh, the, the world and where is my heart taking me? What brings me joy? And what do I see uh, around myself? And just go outside of ourselves with our attention. I think it's really something that is key and that I don't hear very often. And it, it comes from research on attention processes. It also comes from research on clinical ther therapeutic uh, strategy for social anxiety. But uh, interestingly, it was already said by uh, Spinoza in the 17th century. He was already explaining that in the ethic. So I highly recommend reading this. It's a beautiful book. Mm -hmm. So that's my first tip, just turn your attention uh, toward the world. And my second tip would be when you have this direction of attention, try to move toward the world. I mean, I always send myself uh, challenges uh, to send a message, to uh, move towards someone uh, in the in the relationships, uh, to try to talk to someone maybe that I don't know. And we, when we say when we do all these um, little steps, it protects us from feelings of loneliness and it makes us more connected to others. So I think it's really important to, to do that. It did it for me. And the third tip I use and that is uh, helpful for me is to turn my attention toward outgroup people. Uh, we have, when, when we are in a social group, there is this uh, kind of circle that's created and we look at the center of the group. We look at the popular people, at the people who get more attention and there is this uh, centered attention in groups. And if you don't let your brain do that and you just turn your attention toward people that are on the side, you will find awesome people, mainly it's the, the same people outside the group and inside the group, but you will find uh, a very interesting relationships. And there is today, there are so many people who are feeling lonely, they don't even know it. And it's, it's really important that we don't focus on people that are uh, in the center and get all the attention and that we take little steps toward uh, outgroup people. That's where you'll find the best friends you can find. Thank you. Yes, the, there's really kind of here now and where is my attention? I, I agree. I think that's a really invaluable kind of little addition to, to, to that notion. And, 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 you know, can I turn my attention toward the world but then the second tip is okay now also move 
toward the world, you know, move, approach, especially around people and others and, and, you know, sort of that's where we can feel connection. And then thirdly, you know, also um, be discerning with where, with where or who you move towards, that, that, that there will be a part of the brain that will automatically move us in certain directions or to certain places. But, you know, kind of be discerning there. And sometimes it might be that you move towards the, the, um, the out group, the people on the side, and, and, and that, that might make all the difference, actually. Well, that's, that's really, really great. Thank you very much for those, those three tips. And um, if people were wanting to, you know, in, in find you or engage with you or, or hear more about your work, what, what, where could they, where could they do that? Are there any, you know, some of your social media kind of stuff or, or other things? I guess I have a, a website that is called joy, joycompassion.com. Mm-hmm. There, it's in English, so there are there. there it's not very. There's there is a lot of a little bit of resources uh, like a guided imagery or a blog. There is a French version that has a lot more uh, content, but mm-hmm. uh, for people who uh, eventually speak French, uh, it's uh, joie compassion in, compassion in in French, but. Uh, I would be uh, very happy to share a book someday, but <laughs> yes, one day. Before I find my peaceful place, my place of serenity. Yes, yes. Now you are a bit of a writer already. You know, you write your blogs and and various other things, and it's it's beautiful. It, it's so and and so they can can go to the website, and then from there, can they find your various kind of other contacts and so on? I guess you. People could send a mail, but I'm on, on social media, uh, on Facebook. My Facebook is open, so I would welcome people if they want to join. Well, I'll include all of those little little details on the, the description, you know, below, below the video on YouTube. And uh, I'm still getting used to all of this YouTube uh, sort of jargon and so on. But um, actually, you do have a YouTube channel yourself so we might actually connect that as well perhaps if, you, if you're happy to but um, my so... son would be very happy he's my coach he's looking at the, the, the YouTube thing my, yes. my little son he's... but right. thank you Stan for the, the amazing work you're doing so many, so much time and, and so much uh, wonderful attention you're giving to people I, I just want to thank you very much from my heart Oh, that, thank you, and 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 it, it is actually it fills me up. So I, I I thoroughly you know enjoy it and and get an enormous amount out of it myself. And I was so pleased that we could get this time in particular. So I you know thank you for coming on and having a little chat about all things compassion. Thank you.